Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hey, Geico, do you own? Do you rent? Well, you do one or the other, right? You know, it's hard work out there. Owning, renting, you want to save some money? How about your bundle? Bundle your policies at Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle the homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you got so much to do already. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, see just how much you could save at Geico. That is Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Hello, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndre. we got a full house today. Bill Goldberg's in the house and our friend Alistair Weaver from Edmunds.com. Alistair's in an office. That's weird. <laughs> and I'm in the exact same place I've done the, the podcast for God knows how long. Well, it, it I was told- thinking about changing up the scenery, but I'm going to do that when the garage When the garage out, is right? built, right? When the garage is built. Um, welcome guys. Glad to have you here. Uh, we're just coming off of, uh, I I don't want to say LA auto show, but the press week for LA auto show. So we can share the news. And if you're listening to this and you're in LA or near, and you want to go to the LA auto show, you can see some of this stuff. Uh, but, uh, let me just hit this real quick. The PRI show, Performance Racing Industry, I've never been to that event. It's owned by SEMA. It wasn't always. It's owned by SEMA. And it is the more hardcore racing version of the SEMA show. It's an indie coming up, I think, um, December 10th and 11th or 9th, 10th and 11th. And, I will be out there with Chris, and uh, we're going to be doing a couple of interviews, and I believe we are doing a live car cast show from that event. I'm excited about going to PRI to check it out. I'm not excited about the weather. But uh, <laughs> but it should be it should be a good event. Yeah, it's gonna be. I don't know. It's ridiculously cold. Like I don't even know like what layers and you know whatever. Just I'll You'll just figure fun. it out. I'll just figure it out. I'm just gonna run there and run back. Uh, but it should be a, a good show. We've got some cool interviews and stuff. Um, I will start posting up on social media the exact time and location. Um, but I believe it's gonna be Friday. 10 a.m. local time in Indy on the main stage, wherever that is. Uh, we're going to be doing something there. So, <laughs> way to be specific. <laughs> yeah, they just said 10 a.m. <laughs> main stage. Main stage. Is, we're going to be doing something. And I was like, we were going to be doing CarCast live and uh, come out and say hi. Uh, it's too cold for Bill. It's too far for Adam. So I got to go on my own. Not too cold for me. <laughs> just not in my schedule, unfortunately. I mean, I'd love to go. I've never been either, and I, I, I would absolutely love to go. But, um. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we're we're gonna get into some of the auto show stuff as well. There's been some cool stuff. Mostly, Alistair gets invited to way more shit than we do. But um, uh, there was a few things. However. Marcus Angel debuted your lawman Mustang at the big show, um, Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. I don't know what the acronym is, but there's a whole bunch of letters, uh, M-C-A-N-C, something or other. And, now that it goes over, I know how to say it. So. Uh, okay, what is the show? What was it? Where was you, you it? You got it right. Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. Okay. 
The car looked fantastic. Obviously, Marcus has been working on it for a long time. Uh, nobody better. It's just um, uh, amazing. Uh, it seemed to really get attention. It was uh, front and center. People sent me photos. I'm sure people had like DM'd you photos and stuff. Marcus posted some stuff. Our good friend Courtney Hansen was there. I think she did a, a feature, like a film or an IG video or something around it as well. Um, uh, I saw that she sat in the car, which is always lovely. And then my first thought was, did she sit in it before you? And then I realized it did stop at your home first. And you guys did a video on it before it went out there. But I know there was yeah, like yeah. hangups on stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't know if it was going to make it to you first. But it did. It did make it to you first. Yeah. And we didn't know if we, it was going to make it to that show. I mean, we had uh, raised the... Yeah, it was a debacle, but let's just say that at the end, we pulled it together. Marcus was kind enough to fly out and take care of it from delivery to uh, load load in, you know, back home. But, uh, you know, if you're ever going to do what we did with that car, which is spend an unbelievable amount of money just to make it right again, um, it, I, that car deserves to go out to the public. You know that I've never really taken that thing out. I mean, I did a reunion with Alex Strain in the car and the kid who designed the second gen for uh, Mustang, you know, years and years ago. But uh, after the restoration, this was the, sh the show that it should go to. We pulled it together and uh, it was successful, man. It was cool to get it out there to the public. A lot of great stories, a lot of great photos. And uh, it was a hell of a show from what I saw. It's uh it, it was it was fantastic. If you guys want to go and read about the story of this, I think Marcus has a website that he built. It's it's lawmanmustang.com. Uh Alistair, if you haven't seen this thing, there's a is a storied history of this uh dating back it was a, it was a it was a supercharged big out of the hood supercharger uh Boss 429 that um was used as sort of a a motivational piece for our for our military it was on tour uh you know um and it was kind of showing off and uh, just an, an incredible story about it bill has owned it for years i think bought it at auction right you bought it at auction i was wrestling in japan i bought it over the phone with bob johnson at barrett jackson from the gas monkey guys that's right. I just love. I, I just love a car with a story behind it. I mean, a, a it looks awesome, Bill. I'm just looking at the pictures now. It looks looks fantastic. Can you see anything through the windshield? You're not supposed to. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can. You can see the big, <laughs> the big blower. You, you can't see to the right at all. You can see a little bit in front of you, but it is it is a drag race vehicle. It's made to just kind of go down a straight line, but it just it just makes an incredible amount of noise. And so Marcus, who restored it. Uh, working with Bill, the time was in getting the history right, researching all of the old photos and stories. He traveled all around the world. I think he went to Italy, all kinds of places. Yeah, let's and, not say the say the world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he he definitely traveled the world to get uh, to get the story of this thing and to collect some of the original parts. Uh, uh, he told a story about trying to like. I think he and his wife went. 
somewhere here. I think they're, they're in Arizona. They might have went to like Portland or Seattle kind of area to pick up cylinder heads. And he didn't trust the airline to to put them in baggage. So he, he carried them <laughs> on the plane. They had to go through they had to go through the check and then he put them in the overhead compa- uh, overhead compartment. And the whole time he's like, I hope that thing doesn't fall through <laughs> and hit us on the head. It'll take us out for sure. But yeah, he brought a pair. Like that's Marcus though. When you're talking about him coming out and getting the car and bringing it to the show his sort of he doesn't really want it out of his hands well, well yeah i mean he's got the thing at his location for so long and he's performing surgery on it so deep that you know every one of these are a family member of his you know he puts he puts a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of his passion into it you know that's what he does and, um he, he there's no one that could represent the car better than he and i and al you know god rest his soul but um, I wasn't available and he was, was nice enough to travel with the vehicle. Everything has been researched and restored down to like the factory, like chalk marks and markers slashes, you know, as, as parts get built on the, you know, on the differential or whatever, just down to every, every little, little every thing. inch has a story. Yeah. Every the only thing that wasn't restored on it was the, was the dash. There's a sticker uh, on the dash and the reason for the sticker on the dash is it covered up a burn mark when the dash caught on fire <laughs> and that that was part of the story that i wanted to that i wanted to keep with the vehicle i didn't want to restore that are um, you making a film bill about this you know re- there really should be there there truthfully should be there's so much backstory you know from alistair i took this thing when i lived in san diego i took it to camp pendleton um the uh Second command used to always call me when a lot of guys and girls were coming in from deployment. And so I would be in the parking lot and I'd meet the white buses when they come from the port and they'd be offloaded at Pendleton. And a couple, a couple times I actually met a kid whose father had been in Vietnam and who had a story and who had photos in their garages of them in that vehicle in Vietnam during the early seventies. So crazy. It's, it's, it, it's really cool, you know, and to get the guy that, <clears throat> to get to meet the guy and to know the guy that, that started the tour, it was his brainchild. Um, it was just a really cool deal. It's a sentimental project and, um, you know, go, go USA. It's just, yeah. it's got a, it's got a great backstory. Well, I'm, I'm glad the car is done. I'm glad, uh, that, uh, Marcus was able to do the project and it's being, out and being shown a little bit. I don't know what's next on the docket. It's everything. It's going of- back in the cave, dude. It ain't going nowhere. I don't know if it'll ever go while it's in my possession. I don't know if it'll ever go to another show. Well, so that's why that was important for us to get it out. We'll, we'll see about that. Now that you're talking about it and people know it's done, you're going to get calls going, Hey, we'd love to have this car on display. So well, people, just as my father, <laughs> God rest his soul would say people in hell want ice water too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I, I definitely wanted to touch on that story because it's uh it's, it's a cool car when you guys see it. I was at Marcus's house probably a couple of years ago when he was working on the project and uh, the engine was being built and I think just some of the paint had come back and it was still up on the roller on the dollies and, uh, you know. I remember when they were hands on the side of that car. Yeah. It was about that. And, and when I went, the, the painting, just the base blue and the white was done. None of the other details were done. 
Yeah, but uh, anyway, cool stuff. But uh, that all being said, uh, LA Auto Show is in full effect, if you can say that. It's definitely a little scarce on the uh, on the convention center floor. But um, oh, I want to say, I, you know, what, what's the list off the top of your head? Uh, Audi, Mazda, uh, uh, none, none of the exotic cars. The exotic cars haven't been there in quite a while, but there's quite a few car companies that, that didn't show up. And it was yeah, kind but- of interesting because they put on these – they kind of filled the area. It's funny. In the convention center, you don't think to do ride-alongs, but with car companies having electric vehicles, uh, uh, Ford had Mach-E's in the building doing ride-alongs, and other companies were doing EV stuff with ride-alongs in the convention center, which you can not normally do with a gas engine car. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a cool show, Matt. I mean, look. Auto shows are under pressure before the pandemic hit because everybody said it's a hell of a lot of money and everything's gone digital and everything else. But I always enjoy them. There's still a bit of glamour about it. You go there, you know, everybody's together. And, you know, if you remember the media like me, it's the what, you know, it's a few times a year where you get all the execs, you get a real barometer of where the industry is. And if, you know, and if you remember the public, what, you know, where else can you go and see everything lined up together? And yeah, some of the ride along stuff was cool. They had an F 150 Lightning charging around. Um, so, you know, yet it, yes, it was sparsely populated in terms of the number of uh, manufacturers that are there, but I hope it succeeds and I hope this is a kind of toe in the water and that, you know, we come back to, to something resembling the old days because I'm still a big fan of auto shows and I, I really enjoyed my couple of days there. I, I and, and talking of exotics, Porsche was there. I mean, there was a few. Uh, so if you are, a, you know, if you want to go down, I mean, Corvette Z06, you know, if you are a big enthusiast and somewhere near the area, Corvette Z06 was there. Weird brown one as well. It didn't look good. Um, you know, Porsche was there in force. They really went big on it. GT4, GT, Cayman, let me get this right. Cayman GT4 RS debuted there with Vizac package. And get that get that as a title. And, and uh, yeah, you forgot the 718 part. 718 Cayman <laughs> oh, GT4 sorry. RS. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah that, car looked, uh, that car looked awesome. It was definitely getting a lot of attention. But, you know, the other one, and I've said this before, is the GTS. Any GTS versions of the Porsches are such great bang for the buck. And the Porsche, the, the 911 Targa GTS, it might be a Targa 4 GTS that they had there, the red one just gorgeous it's it's the way to get a seven speed manual transmission and center lock wheels off of the turbo s and some of their gt cars and i've always said hey the gts cars with the center lock wheels are the game changer uh and that price range otherwise you're spending two hundred and ten thousand dollars or more on a turbo s uh or one of the gt cars but for for that price range that car was really really nice yeah, I think you're right. They also brought out debuted there a Taycan GTS, which we which we've just driven. And weirdly, they're bringing the they're bringing the Taycan GTS as the Sport Turismo, which is basically the old shooting brake. Mm-hmm. Which I love those things because they're going to have the Cross Turismo, which is like a 4S and a Turbo, which is the the sort of SUV type ish Taycan. And then the Sport Turismo hasn't got the kind of off roady bits, but they're only bringing that in as a GTS, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I so thought maybe, so too. Yeah, if you just get driving a Taycan on the road, that's that may well be the one to the one to have. But I agree with you about GTSs, and particularly now the 911 GT3's got more hardcore. There's an argument that if you're buying it predominantly as a road car, the GTS is the sweet spot. Yeah. 
electrification was was definitely a theme, and it's going to continue to grow. We talked about this at SEMA as well. But um, uh, I want to talk about Fisker for a second. But before we get to that, out of nowhere, a company called Mullen popped up with with a with a really sharp looking electric SUV or crossover. I don't know what the terms are now, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, it it looked good. They had a great display. Um, I spoke to somebody there, and I spoke to somebody, a friend that was that was working the booth, and she was saying, uh, you know, this all kind of came up very very quickly, like within weeks of the show. They just decided uh, we should go. We should we should be there, and f- you know, somehow put a booth together and got vehicles out there. Have you even heard of Mullen? This has nothing to do with Peter Mullen. Um, that that I can think of, Peter Mullen from the Peterson Museum and the Mullen Museum. Uh, I, this is just a company that came up called Mullen, and it seems like they have a ready to go SUV. Yeah, there's all sorts of. I mean, the Australian answer is Matt. No, I hadn't. Um, and you're starting to see a lot of this. And we also saw. I don't know if we had a chance to check out the Vinfast stand. So Vinfast is a, a Vietnamese uh, car company. Uh, showed a couple of EV concept SUVs designed by Pininfarina mm. um, in Italy, of course, designed all the Ferraris in the past. So, you know, there's, we're starting to see a lot of these new brands and, you know, some will some will prosper. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Rivian in a minute, but some will prosper and, you know, some will probably fall by the wayside. But the whole EV thing's just made it that much easier to to be a startup and, to, you know, to get into the game. Well, you know, for, for Mullen, what I did find out, um, it – it's uh, they have an SUV. It's a little four door SUV, probably about the size of the Fisker Ocean that you guys have seen. I believe the Mullen starts at about fifty five thousand uh, bucks. It is going to be made in the USA. They've they've secured some sort of factory. I don't remember where. Somewhere I, I think in the Midwest, um, probably somebody's old factory. And they're a public company as well. I assume a direct listing listing or some SPAC. Uh, type of listing that they did because I don't remember a lot of fanfare around their IPO. So I don't know was that. So they seem to have uh, some money. Um, I'd like to say well-funded, but in the car world, I have no idea what that means. There's companies <laughs> that have raised billions and billions and billions of dollars and uh, and and still struggling. So it's a tough feat. Um, but it's a, it's a sharp-looking SUV. If I remember correctly, it's three motors. They have two motors uh, paired together in an IRS, an independent rear suspension with half shafts, and then a motor in the front, almost like a front-wheel drive engine um, with the half shafts going through it, through a crankcase. Uh, so a three-motor uh, configuration. I don't recall the range, but I think it's on par with everybody around that 300-mile range. And it looks good. Like I said, it starts about 55000 uh, and probably goes up from there. So I uh, don't know anything else about their sales network or how they impl- uh, intend to do stuff. And, and and I know a lot of car companies say, you know, these startup brands are like, oh, we'll do sales online. We don't need a dealer network. And I go, okay, that's good. But who's going to fix the cars, right? So there's <laughs> always the question of uh, how, do you, how do you take them in for repairs and warranty work later? So um, I, I guess as we, we will find out as we get into that. Um, but Fisker, uh, Bill, I don't know if you've met, have you met Henrik Fisker before? I want to say HRE, HRE. I was going to say something at a car event or a TV show or something. Uh, I, I always enjoy interviewing Henrik Fisker. He's, he's, 
he's got a lot of character. He's enthusiastic. He's a smart guy. He loves design. Um, and understandably, he's had his ups and downs. He's had some wild successes in his career. And then the Fisker karma for – there's a lot of names being thrown around um, – through however it was planned, the battery technology, the company A123 had some failures. That could be poor planning on Fisker's part or whatever, but he seems to be back. And uh, with the Fisker Ocean, which is a small SUV, which I was just watching an Edmunds video and I found out is front-wheel drive, which I was like, wah, wah, wah. But other than that, uh, it looks gorgeous. But Alistair, it, what do you front or- – can you tell us more about that Fisker Ocean? Yeah, I mean, just going back to Henrik, I first met Henrik more than about 10, 15 years ago. I wrote a book with Aston Martin when they were owned by Ford. And Henrik was design director. He took over from Ian Callum, I know he's a friend of the show. And Henrik had done the BMW Z8, which is now worth a fortune in the used market. He also did the V8 Vantage. And at the time, was just, you know, a design director. And then he became this kind of entrepreneur. And as you say, he had a didn't have good karma with the karma. Um, <laughs> but but now, you know, he's, he, he's back. And, you know, on paper, at least, the guy's a billionaire. But he and his wife are because they're both major shareholders. So, um, yeah. you know, another example. They've got 350 people, uh, an office in Manhattan Beach, which is almost walking distance from where I can live, where I live. They've also done something, I think, really interesting with that car. I spent half an hour with Henrik uh, as, the, as they launched it on the Monday morning before the show. And, They've decided to use a company called Magna, which people listening to the show might not have heard of, but they're based in Austria, and they're the guys that make the Mercedes G-Wagon. They mm-hmm. make, um, I forget what they're like, a couple of other Mercedes. They make basically, they're an assembly plant and a, a company that make cars for people. But these are, this is a huge operation making, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of cars um, every year. So they know what they're doing. And so basically what Henrik said is, right, we'll buy a, we'll pay a one-off fee for a chassis from them, but then modify it. So we own the IP. I did, did ask him that question. Then we're going to put a pretty body on it, and, and away we go. Um, and then Magna are going to make it. And I said, well, surely making a car in Austria and you know having your team based in Manhattan Beach, California, is pretty expensive if you're trying to sell this thing for 40000 and, you know, his view on it is that you actually shortcut a lot of the problems that Tesla had because you've now got a company that knows how to build cars. So you don't have to worry too much about that. And actually, the manufacturing cost is a relatively small proportion of the overall cost of, of a vehicle. I, I agree. So, it's, it's an interesting stra- strategy. He didn't have to build a factory from scratch. He didn't have to buy a factory, and he didn't have to staff up and train a factory. He went into a factory that's already doing it, and he went into a factory that is already, I assume, cash flow positive because they have other clients, and they're already making other things, as you said, with with Mercedes and AMG. So he's, he's outsourcing the production but that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're outsourcing to the production to a good company that knows what they're doing. You know? Yeah, what you potentially give away is a bit of margin because obviously there's a there's a middleman involved, but it it does make sense and the car should be well built because as you say, Magna really know what they're doing. Uh, and beyond that, you know, it's 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 a nice as you'd expect, the guy's a, a great designer. I think it's a nice looking thing. Looks way better in like a lot of modern cars, way better in real life than it does in pictures. 
And there's also a couple of cool little gimmicks. You know, we have this thing where, like the uh, the Mustang Mackie has the has the vertical screen, and then mm-hmm. and then the Model Y has the horizontal screen. Well, the Fisker actually has a screen that rotates through ninety degrees. Yeah. So the so the idea being, if you're driving along and you want it in portrait, that's fine. And then if you stop and you know you you want to watch a movie in the car, you can press a button and it'll rotate ninety degrees and you can watch Netflix or something. So everybody needs a little gimmick. I thought that yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Honestly, it's gone crazy on TikTok. We put, launched it on TikTok. It went crazy for us. Everybody uh, loves it, that sort it's of It's a cool little feature because I do like the option. Some people go, oh, this is too big. It takes up the whole dash. or And it is big, but being able to hit a button and rotate it does give an interesting option to it. And then, you know, Henrik being a designer and, and going for, you know, like you said, like come of, some of these interesting features is uh, it's – it's four doors, so obviously four windows, and the hatch area has little windows on the sides as well, and a big panoramic roof. So he created what was called what he calls the California button, and you hit that button, and all of the windows and everything opens up simultaneously, effectively making it sort of feel like a convertible with a roll cage around you, almost jeepish or bronco ish. So it's a it's an interesting feature. I have no any, any I have no idea if anyone's going to uh, hit that button other than like you're driving and somebody farts. And you got to really get the get all the windows <laughs> open, <laughs> you know. Uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe fart mode is better than California mode. Certainly funnier, I think, if that was really what it was called. But uh, but an interesting feature that Henrik is coming up with. What do you know about the range and the powertrain? So you're right. The the base model is is front wheel drive. Now I was trying to think of other front wheel drive EVs. We think the Bolt is front wheel drive actually. But then as you go up the range. You'll also have a, a rear, you'll have a two motor version, which will be all wheel drive, like like most of the Teslas and the and the Mackie as well. Um, then you'll, I mean, they they're bringing in a vehicle with different battery technology. Eventually, they're saying it'll be under forty thousand dollars. Then you'll get seven and a half thousand dollars tax credit as well. But or depending on the Biden scheme, that might change again. But then the sweet spot, as usual, te- seems to be about fifty thousand dollars. That seems to be where yeah. the um, uh, where where the, the the choice will be, which again lines it straight up with you know model wise and everything else. And I said to Henrik, you know what, you, it's interesting you come in into what is effectively becoming the mass market, and he said the problem is the mar- and I, I I can see see his argument that although you make good margin in a hundred thousand dollar car like the Lucid and stuff, actually that market is becoming incredibly crowded with not only startups like Tesla and Lucid and but also Mercedes, Porsche, and everybody else. When what you really need in the in the medium term is volume. And the volume is at forty, fifty grand, not at a hundred. Yeah. So again, it's bold stuff. Um, you know, we will we will see. I mean, obviously, Rivian and Co are taking a different route, and they're much more expensive. But you know, I, I hope it works, and I think there is a market for something that isn't isn't a Tesla, and maybe isn't a Mustang as well. You know, one of one of the other things that I noticed with the electric car companies that are popping up, the Teslas, Rivian, and stuff, is they've got some cool features and. Excuse me, and Lucid as well. They've got some cool features and a few options on the cars, but I'm noticing the difference between the larger car companies like a Ford, for example, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to hit, you know, Toyota, Chevy. You know, is they're able to do a lot more variations of a vehicle and a lot more options. We talk about an F-150 already with. I don't know. There's something like nine different grills and and various trim levels 
And uh, even as that trickles to the F-150 Lightning, there's going to be a few versions of it. But that ranges from about $40,000 work truck up to a limited that's like $95,000. So when you say, what does a Ford Lightning cost? Um, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's going to float around the, you know, the mid-50s, low-60s range. But having that more than double the, the base price scope of range, that feels like a Porsche move, right? <laughs> You know, hey, you get a base 911 for 100 grand, but you can option it up to 200,000 if you want to. But, uh, uh, you know, having a Lightning come in around 40,000 or so and getting up into the mid 90s seems like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe only the larger car companies can do that, or maybe these smaller companies are trying to. Uh, it kind of pick for you because I was just playing around on the Rivian site and looking at a few of the options on their truck, and I don't know. It's like a I don't know. It's like a seventy or seventy seven thousand seventy thousand dollar base SUV, and you can get it at around seventy seven thousand with pretty much all of the options. There's not forty thousand dollars worth of options. Lucid as well, by the way. Lucid is like it. That's it. Like you pick a color and you pick the interior and. You pick a wheel, and if you, by the way, when you pick a wheel on the Lucid, it changes the range drastically. You have to use their very specific, like, fan t- style wheel. Uh, otherwise, yeah, 19 inch, 19 inch, which is probably look ridiculous. It's going to yeah. look ridiculous. No one's going to get it. Everyone's going to like, I want the range. And then you're going to see it. Everyone's going to buy the 19 inch rim version of it. And then they're going to go and put aftermarket wheels on it and cut 50 miles off their range. But, uh, but kind of interesting. So it just, it just doesn't seem like a lot of options. These, these cars have to be part of it is, is what they have to make and the margins available to them that, you know, if they say, Hey, if everything is bespoke, if everything's made to order or dealer options, they won't be able to produce the cars, I'm guessing. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And I think Tesla's probably shown that you can have success without offering a massive range of options and actually keep it really simple and it helps the production process and every, everything else. I mean, Rivian's a really interesting one. I mean, we just had a bit of a world exclusive. We called it a world exclusive. It is a world exclusive. Um, we were the first people to actually properly test it. It's a really interesting story because they started out with – they did this thing with Motor Trend bundling across the US, which was like a partnership thing. Then they did um, then they did a, a press launch where they were kind of pretty restrictive on what you could do. They wouldn't let to send a cameraman. They want to put lots of people in the car and stuff. So we said, okay, we'll just wait. And we say all this in the film. We'll just wait till, um, till we actually can test a car properly. So we had one down at the track and, and ran the numbers on it. And it was – it was fascinating. I think also, without wishing to massage my own shoulders here, I think it shows the value of independent testing as well because we found out a bunch of really interesting stuff. Firstly, it weighs an insane amount. It's 7,150 pounds. So mm. it's about, you know, it's a 1,000 pounds heavier than a, than a Ram TRX. You know, it's, it's insanely heavy. It pretty much broke our, our scales. And in fact, in Europe, in, in the UK, you couldn't drive it on a standard car license. It's that heavy. Uh, it, oh, it does zero to 60... Yeah, it does yeah. zero to 60 in three and a half seconds, which they claim three. We did three and a half, which, you know, yes, it doesn't hit that claim, but it's still incredibly fast. It's also the least efficient EV we've ever tested. So it did hit its EPA range figure. I think it did three miles more, so it did 370 miles in our hands, if I remember correctly. So that was good. But when you look at the efficiency, only the Audi e-tron got anywhere close, and that's really inefficient. So, yes, it's a truck, so you'd expect it to be inefficient. But this is kind of the interesting thing now as we go on and, and test 
You know, you're going almost moving away from range and looking at efficiency. And we put everything through this Edmunds EV range testing cycle that that we have. And there are some really, really interesting. So, I mean, it has a massive battery. It has a 125 kilowatt hour battery, which it, which is huge. And then you get 75 grand. So there's not a lot of margin in this thing. So it was fascinating watching the uh, watching the IPO, and now suddenly it's worth what 100 billion plus. Yeah. And you know, you look at the actual product, and I think when you're a startup, maybe you don't need to make a lot of money. Or any. So, or any. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. It handles great. I mean, it's so heavy, but of course, all the weight's down in the bottom, so it's not so bad. It handles really well. Um, you know, it steers nicely. There's some cool stuff inside, like a little pull-out Bluetooth speaker, which is charged by the car. And, you know, as one of the guys in, in my team, Kurt, said to me, he said, it feels like it's been developed by a product designer, not by, like, a committee, like a lot of cars mm-hmm. are. And, yeah, we, we really liked it. There's a few teething troubles, like the screen's a bit glitchy and it needs a few, you know, maybe they need six months just to settle down and kind of iron out some of the um, the teething troubles. But, uh, yeah, it's a cool thing. I mean, I think you'd like it, Bill. As uh, I know you the TRXs and everything else, but, you know, it's got 835 horsepower. It's sort of between a midsize and a full-size, so it's a little bit bigger than a Tacoma, but definitely smaller than an F-150 and narrower than an F-150 as well. But, I, I you know, I think I think you guys would enjoy it. It handles really well. It goes really fast. How are they getting these nice things thing to, to stop? Around. How do you get a 8,000-pound car to stop? Really well. Yeah, really it does well. It? Okay. I mean, I, I can pull out our figures, but the figures we, we were blown away by how well this thing stops. Mm. I think ultimately you just you just have you know massive capacity. Uh, but they've done a they've done a really nice job. I mean, this has a for those who don't know, this has a motor at each corner, so it's not like a Tesla or something where you have two motors front and back or just one at the back. You've actually got a motor on each corner, um, and that gives you more flexibility. And there's some cool off road tricks you can pull with that as well. Uh, so things like the turning circle become become pretty pretty tight as well. We we really we really enjoyed it. We thought it was a, a we thought it was a cool thing, and you know our, our kind of like test figures. The only thing we couldn't do, we had a bit of an argument with Rivian because we wanted to keep the car a few days and do a proper off road test and some towing stuff and what have you. Uh, and they kind of demanded their car back after two days. So we did do it with a press car, but this was the first time that anybody had actually, there was nobody from Rivian on set, nobody from Rivian as part of the testing. So we kind of claimed the first independent test. And the video's gone crazy for us. It's on, on our YouTube channel, I think 400 and something thousand views. And uh, it's me hosting it. So, you know, you can't have everything. But beyond that, <laughs> it's done well. Bill, what do you think of the Rivian? Now that you're seeing photos of the of pop-up, the, the pickup well, truck been- and the SUV. We've been following it for so long, yeah. you know, and the anticipation for it to come out and then what Amazon's done with it. And, you know, it's, what, a couple of years we've been following this story yeah. at least. Um, I think it's cool. You know, I want to get behind the wheel in one, like Alistair said. Um, I'm curious to see what they, what kind of, I'm curious to see where they are because of what they've been able to do with Amazon. How much did it really help them, you know, in the R&D sector so um i i i've wanted to get behind the wheel of it for a very long time you know you and i've talked about you know it 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 certainly seems interesting to me and the more i have opportunities to drive evs the more you can see the appeal you know uh, i was saying the other week you know hey we, we, uh, we i get in a car in the morning and i realize 
I was driving the Mustang Mach-E. I, I get in the car in the morning and I'm sitting there for a second going, why am I sitting here? I usually get in the car and sit. I like to just give the engine a second to like build some oil pressure, maybe get a couple of degrees of temperature in it. You know, I don't run away. You know, I don't sit there for 10 minutes, but I, I just give it a couple beats to just go, hey, let's just let's work on this oil pressure thing together, you and I. And, uh, and in the, the Mach-E, I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. I should be on my way. Like, I don't need to generate any any heat in the motor or anything. Just start to start Next to carry around. We can add to our schedule now. Yeah. So now I can uh, leave here and get here sooner. Um, so it's interesting to me. I Listen, I, Rivian – is getting a lot of positive feedback about their CEO, a lot of good feedback about their company. Um, their their IPO was was big. Uh, you know, a lot of fanboy stuff. I mean, it's nice to be a part of something that's kind of new. It's like this is the flashy new iPhone of the car world. Um, and, and you know, Amazon's big investment in their order for, for vans speaks loudly. Even uh, – even Ford's desire to get into the EV space early on, I think Ford invested something like $500 million into the company. Um, it might have been four, but I think it was $500 million. And then Ford came out a couple of days ago and said, uh, you know, we, we love Rivian. We love their CEO. They're super smart guys. But we've decided to not use them to de- develop any of our EV technology. Ford invested with the notion uh, – that was a very, very, that's a very strange outcome to their initial investment. Right? You know, they, they thought I don't know. Uh, they were going to say, hey, we're going to develop our own EV platform for the F-150, but the Rivian platform could certainly help us electrify the Lincoln lineup, right? That was the narrative a while back. Mm-hmm. And now Ford is saying, I think we have a pretty good grasp on our EV future. We think we can do it on an o- on our own. So we've opted out of being a Rivian customer, but we're f- perfectly fine holding on to our 11 or $12 billion <laughs> of stock, by the way, because they own 12% of the company. And, uh, and there could be some technology transfer, just some, you know, whatever, some phone calls and documents going back and forth. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, listen, I at the end of the day, as you say, Bill, uh their five hundred million dollar investment is floating around eleven, twelve billion dollars in equity right now. So that's not a bad that's not a bad little uh, uh turnaround. It, it's all I, I don't it, it is, and, uh, and maybe it was a, a great hedge by uh, by Ford, but I don't get the bit I don't get about the Rivian thing that I do, you know, that, that I, I'm no Wall Street guy, but I look at the Tesla thing and I say, okay. You know, you've got a firm footprint in the market now. You know, you're selling well pretty much across the world, and you've got this massive charging infrastructure. And mm-hmm. it feels like the charging infrastructure is where the real value is. And I look at Rivian, and they've come out with one product that's pretty good, but, you know, unproven to a point. They're talking about building their own charging infrastructure at national parks and stuff, but so far we've basically not seen it. And I just think, you know, I, I don't get it. I just... I, I just I know they've got Amazon money, so they're not going anywhere. Maybe their real value is in building electric trucks for Amazon. But it's I I, I struggle to see all the um, all the analysis and how all this clicks together. I mean I've I you know I kind of get the Tesla thing just about, 
But, uh, yeah, with such a, you know, it's the same with Fiskars now worth, you know, a few billion as well. Not, not on the Rivian scale, but it's, it, it's getting there. And there's so much, so much people placing bets on these companies uh, and they're not all going to Listen, I, I agree with you. First of all, I, as an entrepreneur, I, I'm a fan of startup companies. I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Certainly these stocks are overinflated. Uh, raising money is one thing. And if you have a good plan and a good idea and and hopefully a good product, um, your ability to raise money, although very difficult, is admirable, right? That is a skill within itself. Um, now, going to the public market for money has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because you know, I, I feel like you're kind of taking advantage of people that not, aren't necessarily experts in that field. So uh, it, it's a different way to go after money. And I'm not talking selling a product to the public, not selling a Rivian truck. I'm saying going to the public and saying, invest in our company now. Uh, and I think you should have a little bit more under your belt as a company like Rivian. Before you hit the public market, traditionally it's always been you've built your company, you've raised some money, you've built a product, you're doing well, you're making money, you're cash flow positive. Now we want to expand. Let's go public and let's sell stock in an IPO. Let's raise some money. And then people can say, hey, this company's doing well. <laughs> you know, um, but now it's all kind of a gamble. As you mentioned, Fisker, like I like Hendrik Fisker. He seems like a smart guy. I haven't hung out and drank beers with the man, so I don't know. But yeah, he's got a $6 billion company and he's made three cars. <laughs> you know? Well, he hasn't made any cars well, yet. He's got, I mean, three, they're all just... he's got three at auto shows rolling around. And I don't yeah, even know well, they, yeah, but they are literally <laughs> rolling around. I mean, they are literally, you know, handcrafted yeah. prototypes. But yeah, I, it's funny. Years ago, I, I got involved with a hedge fund who were looking to invest in McLaren in the automotive division. This was when McLaren was setting up, and they kind of brought me in as a kind of like industry guy and a bit of an insider, so still in the UK. And I kind of, again, I, in the end, I counseled them against it because I said it's going to, it's such a hard game. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go ahead and invest. I'm sure they looked at far more uh, inputs than just me. And for a while, it looked like I got got it wrong because McLaren had, if you remember, McLaren initially took off and had a successful time. And then, you know, it's been a really tough few years for them. And, you know, supercars particularly, even with a brand like McLaren, is incredibly hard to do. And, you know, I mean, look, I have tremendous respect for anybody who sets up a company, especially a car company, because it's such a hard, hard business to get into. But, yeah, I mean, it feels a little bit like the dot-com boom at the moment. And you kind of wonder where it'll all end up. Yeah, well, it's like lastminute.com all over again. And and look, by the way, what what's happening is is and part of the thing that is the cautionary tale of this is you know, the, the stocks right now are wildly inflated. The entire market is up and there has to be a correction. I'm not saying a crash or any sort of devastation, but there's going to be a correction. Um as interest rates go up, property values go down, loans become more expensive, you know, whatever. Now, we're benefiting from low interest rates and not a lot of inventory on new vehicles, any vehicle. So the markets are all very high. Uh, but, you know, uh, there might be other places to invest your money or maybe you're just having fun with it now and you're not too worried about it. By all means, do it. I really thought about it. I was like, maybe 
maybe Rivian. Like maybe I should put a little bit of just fun money in the stock market for Rivian and whatever their stock price, you know, was was sixty something. But it opened on that day, I believe, at one twenty, and. Although it's still massively high, it's like 115 or 117. So anything that anybody bought on the open uh, is already down just a little bit. But then again, Bitcoin used to be $2.17. So, <laughs> you know, who who knows? But uh, I'm just saying as a business model, I think you – you know, these smart guys that are out there, they go to Amazon, they go to Ford, they raise a bunch of money, they do what they say, they acquire a factory, they staff it up, they build a vehicle. Now let's generate some revenue and then go public. It's just sort of my thought. <laughs> yeah, we, we had an interesting thing, Matt, with, with the we just tested the EQS. Um the Mercedes. EQS 450, yes. yeah, which got which was our new range leader on our, our EV testing, which as you know we're putting huge huge efforts into. It did four hundred and twenty two miles. That got picked up in Stuttgart, and Deutsche Bank actually quoted it in a in a buy or sell recommendation. So it's amazing. I think Business Insider, which has crazy amount of uh, crazy amount of views every month, picked it up, and it's amazing like how much these uh, hedge funds or investors are, are just craving independent information around this sector of the market in a way perhaps they never did before. So yeah, this went mad in Stuttgart. We, we saw the Deutsche Bank stuff, we saw the Business Insider stuff, and this became a really big story. And I think it actually moved the, moved the stock price. But it's, um, it's crazy. It seems like a very volatile market right now. And, you know, who, who knows where it'll end. And I don't profess to, uh, to be an expert. Uh, let, let me ask you, uh, uh, we're going we're to have to wrap up in a second. But let me just ask you one thing about the Mercedes. The numbers are coming in. The interior is gorgeous. The range is good. Mercedes quality, Mercedes build quality. But that car's ugly. That thing is so ugly. <laughs> I, it, Matt, I, I, we were we we thought this thing was going to be mega, and actually, I know you say about the interior, but I think if you go for the very top interior with the fancy screens, but the car we had was a pretty much an entry level model, but still over a hundred grand. And actually, they've taken out quality relative to the S class to get the hmm, price down, okay. and presumably still achieve a margin. We were disappointed with it. I mean, still a good car, but not the great car we expected. Rear head, I mean, yeah, the way it looks, but also rear headroom's poor. Like, Bill, you would, you and I struggle for rear headroom. Matt, less, less so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing is rear, um, rear leg, rear leg room. Um, because that classic thing with, like, you're having a Model 3 where you have batteries under the floor, you end up with your, with your knees around your ears. Oof. Yeah, uh, which is a which you know an S class or an EQS, which is basically the electric S class, is all about sitting in the back, chauffeuring people to airports, that kind of thing. And the the legroom's not so good. You sit you sit with your knees up in the air, and the headroom's not great, and the quality's not as good as it as it might be. So we we actually thought it was going to blow us away, and and it just didn't. I actually think those big luxury luxury what we call sedans probably work better as a, an SUV. Mm-hmm. Because of where the batteries sit, or you do what uh, what Porsche have done, which is to basically cut a hole in the in the battery pack so you can put your feet a bit. I was lower. just thinking that, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's a nice car; it drives nicely, and you yeah. know, some of the tech's cool and everything else. But I thought it was going to be mega, and 
It's a bit like, mm. Yeah, and it's ugly. All right. Um, unfortunately, we've got to go. We've got to give up our studio here, and I know Bill's got to run as well. We're going to have to do this again, so we're going to uh, – there's more to talk about here. Um, but, uh, guys, thank you so much. Of course, we're at carcastshow.com. Um, uh, Alistair, he's Weaver on Cars. Oh, is no, he's Weaver. Yeah, Weaver on Cars. We got rid of Weavometer. Remember that one? That one was funny. Weaver on Cars on Instagram. And I only got Weaver. rid of it because of you guys. It's just like peer pressure. Don't you guys me. I had nothing to do. You all just laughed at me. We chuckled. An endearing laugh. We're uh, laughing with <laughs> uh, of course, give Goldberg a follow. He's Goldberg95 and Goldberg's Garage on Instagram and uh, can follow along. And I'm sure we'll get some more photos of the lawman up there uh, soon. Uh, follow me at Motorator. So thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Until next time, uh, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. CarCast Show.